Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Rob O'Hara. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this week's episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing River Raid. Do you know how many points were required to earn a patch from Activision? You will find out in this week's episode. But before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. Uh, I always like to kick off the news with a reminder of where you can find this show. You can find it, of course, the audio version on podcast.roboharan.com. That is the home of all my podcasts. And then you can find the video version of Sprite Castle over at youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming. Just look for the playlist. There's one for Sprite Castle, the podcast, and one for Sprite Castle uh, Plays. Those are my Twitch streams where I play Commodore 64 games. If you'd like to watch those streams, in real time, then go follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Rob O'Hara. All kinds of fun stuff going on. Uh, just stream, stream, stream. It's all we do these days. <laughs> uh, I will kick into the show, into the news section with some feedback from the last episode. The last episode was... Dragon's Lair, when we played the Commodore 64 uh, version of Dragon's Lair, and a lot of the feedback I got mirrored exactly my same feedback, uh, or my same uh, opinions about the game, which was, uh, it was too difficult to be fun, uh, that it probably would have been a better game if it hadn't been advertised as a Dragon's Lair game. And uh, lots of people mirrored my, it's not just my opinion, uh, but lots of people's opinion that the arcade version of Dragon's Lair uh, is a technical marvel. I think someone called it a almost a technical demo, but as far as a game goes, it's not very much fun. And I uh, got lots of feedback, people talking about their first time seeing Dragon's Lair, uh, things like that. So I really enjoyed all the feedback. Um, and... Going along with that episode, we also had uh, a little secret song that plays at the end of the episode, which if you know that song, you could become a king of the castle. The episode last week was Dragon's Lair, and the secret song was the uh the song title is through the fire and flames by dragon force of course dragon's lair has fire and flames and there's the tie-in with dragon force and dragon's lair so congratulations to all of uh, this week's vips which are paul marfleet adam from the retro gaming bygones podcast Joe and Steve Sharippa both were quick on the draw. Bill Spear, Blue Train, Daniel Galeppa, and Zorglub all got the correct answer. Uh, this is a somewhat obscure song. If you listen to the radio or you listen to heavy metal or listen to rock music, chances are you will have never heard of Dragon Force. But Dragon Force is known, and this song is particularly known because it is 
one of the most difficult songs to play in Guitar Hero. And so that is why if you go search on YouTube for Through the Fire and Flames, you will find all kinds of videos. Uh, and this is how I know the song. So I don't know anybody. I'm sure there are people out there, but I don't personally know anyone who knows this song from anywhere else but Guitar Hero. So if you are of the age to have played Guitar Hero or had children like I did who also played Guitar Hero... Uh, then that would be most likely where you had run into this song. So congratulations to all the VIPs. They have been kicking it in the uh, VIP room in the back. Hope everybody's been having a good time. We had uh, Dirk and Daphne from Dragon's Lair show up for autographs in the VIP room, and they brought some Dragon's Lair uh, beer. So I think everybody's been having a good time. So if you would like... To join us in the party back behind the scenes in the VIP room, you will have to correctly guess the 8-bit song that is played at the end of this episode. Now, either the band's name or the song title or something to do with the song that I play will relate somehow. It may be super obvious. It may be super not so obvious. Uh, but there will be a connection between the game and the, the song that's played. So all you got to do is uh, correctly guess the title and send that to me in an email to Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Make sure you put King of the Castle in the uh, title because sometimes I have things go to my spam filter, but I have a rule. If it says King of the Castle, I've already told Gmail, listen, buddy, <laughs> this is an important message. Don't put that in the spam. So that will be sure to get through gmail spam defenses and uh, it will get to me so that's how you can join everyone else behind the scenes here in the king of the castle uh, i have just a couple of news items for this episode the first is i saw there was a new episode of the 8-bit show and tell show on youtube from robin harbin uh, this one talks about sprites uh how to make sprites and how to control sprites with a joystick uh, i've only got to watch about half of it i need to go back and watch the other half but uh it's a great video you know in the i think that's where everybody starts with with games you know as a kid is you made little things and you drew little things out of ascii and then you wanted to make your own sprites and draw these little things and animate them and control them and move them around the screen. So I don't even care if it's a game that does anything. If I could just do that, <laughs> I'd be pretty happy with that. So that's, uh, uh, if you want to find out all about Commodore 64 sprites and moving them around and all that kind of stuff, you can't go wrong with 8-bit show and tell. I also saw that Galaga was finally released. Galaga is a port that has been uh, worked on by Arlasoft and it has been released as a free Download, you can find it at Arla Games, that's A-R-L-A Games dot itch dot I-O, and uh, you can go right to forward slash Galaga dash C64 after that and download it. I watched a YouTube video of it earlier this morning, it looks fantastic, I have downloaded it, so I'm getting ready to play it right after this, I might actually stream uh, some Galaga, it looks fantastic, it looks really good, and uh, you know, all these newer arcade ports the I think it started with Donkey Kong Jr., maybe Berserk, Commando. I mean, there's just been so many over the past four or five years that have really shown what the Commodore 64 can do. So they're they're just so much fun to play. And uh, you can't argue with the price of this one, 100% free. So uh, I'm uh, looking forward to trying that out. Uh, if you have feedback, 
about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. You can join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter over at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave me a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. This show is made possible by my Patreon supporters. So if you want to find out how you can support the show, go over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and find out about the different levels of support. All of my patrons get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. So to find out more, again, go to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. And... As always, this episode is sponsored by Retro Rewind. Uh, There's actually a new code that I need to announce this week. So uh, if you want some brand new Commodore stuff, some Commodore equipment, maybe you need a test harness. Maybe you want one of these cool new Kung Fu Clash flash cartridges, which I have sitting right here that I've been playing with. Lots of fun with that. Uh, You know. Just go check out and see some of the things they have. Lots of stuff for uh, the entire 8-bit line of Commodore computers and 16-bit Commodore computers. They have a lot of Amiga stuff as well. So if you want to see what all they have going on over there right now, go over to RetroRewind.ca. And when you check out, use the code SC10. That's for Sprite Castle 10. Use that when you check out and you will get a 10% discount on your order. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who just ran into my DoorDash delivery driver. Got any cookies in there? Now that we've discussed this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. You know, when I think of River Raid, I played River Raid. I've been playing River Raid uh, all week. And you're flying over this river. And I'm thinking about what experiences do I have with a river. And I have one particular story. When I was a kid, I went to visit my uncle who lives in very far southeast Oklahoma. And he, uh, he and my grandpa shared... 640 acres of land. It was this giant section of land. And they had all this space. You could just walk all day long and never leave their property. And they had a river that was on their property. And so when I was a little kid, my uncle took me uh, fishing down in this river. And the two of us were wading through the river. And we had, uh, he had an old fishing pole that he used. And he had bought me a Zebco 202 fishing pole. I remember that. And he had these worms. And so we would put the worms on the hook. He would put it on my hook. And we uh, uh, were walking through there and something brushed up against my leg. Now, I don't really remember this. I must have been seven or eight years old. But uh, I was convinced it was a shark. (laughs) And so I began climbing my uncle like a tree until I got up on top of his shoulders. And that is where I remain for the rest of our time as we walked through the river fishing. <laughs> so he waded through the river and I sat on top of his head. 
<laughs> with the two of us fishing. Uh, but I do remember that little thing of worms that we had with us. And we were using worms for lure. And so on this episode, while I was at the store earlier this week, I picked up a bag of gummy worms. And I... I used to really like gummy worms. I still like them. I don't know the texture. They seem tougher than they used to be. I like the kind that are two colors. So I really like the ones that are red on one end and white on the other. I think white is my favorite one, but there were some that are, you know, green and white or green and yellow and different color combinations like that. But um, I have just, while I've been working here in my office, I've just been every now and then picking up a gummy worm and chewing on it and thinking about wading uh, through that river. So I have been uh, just snacking on gummy worms during this week, having a good time and thinking about the river. And speaking of rivers, River Raid was published for the Commodore 64 in 1984 by Activision. It is a game for one or two players that uses joystick controls, and it is available both as a diskette and a cartridge version. Activision is the publisher of this game. They have, I won't go into the history of Activision because I've covered so many of their games before on this show. Um, that goes all the way back to episode four of Sprite Castle when we did Hero. Uh, on episode 20, we did Little Computer People. Episode 31 was the Complete Computer Fireworks Celebration Kit, otherwise known as the Fireworks Construction Set. Uh, episode 32 is Ghostbusters, 48 was Pitfall, and 57 was Park Patrol. So I believe Activision is either tied or has now beat Accolade as uh, the number one company that we have reviewed. So I need to uh, diversify a little bit. I need to spread my wings a little bit, but I couldn't resist. When I ran across this on a disc last week, I knew that this was one that I wanted to share with everyone. Uh, the original version of River Raid was created by Carol Shaw, who came up with the game and programmed it for the Atari 2600. Now, Carol uh, went to, I believe it was Berkeley. I believe she has a master's from Berkeley uh, in computer design. Uh, she was uh, one of the earlier uh, Atari 2600 programmers. She did 3D tic-tac-toe. She did video checkers. I know she worked on, uh, in the background of Super Breakout, she did a lot of the behind-the-scenes coding. Uh, she has been uh, just a legendary programmer. In 2017, she won uh, from the Game Awards. She was awarded the Industry Icon Award. So Carol Shaw uh, is a uh, amazing programmer and the person basically single-handedly behind uh, River Raid. Now, the Commodore 64 version of River Raid was ported from the Atari 2600 by a company called Micro Projects Engineering. And it looks like they have about 10 games that were... Uh, that they did for the Commodore 64. They did some for other systems as well. Uh, their biggest titles that I recognized were Thing on a String, which was a popular game, as well as Monty on the Run, which is a game you may have heard of. Uh, they did port several games to other systems. The one that I saw that I recognized was Moonsweeper for the TI-99 4A. So uh, they are the ones responsible for this port to the Commodore 64. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> 
Now, in river raid, you control a fighter aircraft flying over a river and in between canyon walls. Your goal is to shoot everything and gather fuel when needed. It was originally released, as I said, on the Atari 2600 in 1982, and this release for the Commodore 64 came out in 1984. Um, The box art for the Commodore 64 version is very different than the Atari 2600 uh, or the, the one for the Commodore 64 is very different from the Atari 2600. Uh, all the Activision titles on the Atari 2600 had a very similar look. And the ones for the Commodore 64 and other systems did not use that same look. The cover for the Commodore 64 says River Raid. And it actually says River by Carol Shaw Raid. <laughs> She's got her name right there in the title. It is a big airbrush painting. You can see the uh, plane that you're piloting. It's coming in hot. It's flying through the canyon, uh, hugging the river water. You are headed towards a bridge, which is part of the game. You can see tanks on the shore that are firing towards you. And, of course, there are helicopters above and ahead. So all the things that you see in the game uh, appear right here in this artwork. Uh, The manual says, The River of No Return. It is a long, long snaking river. Reports tell us that it never ends, ever. Over a thousand bridges and 20,000 enemy encounters. Blast battleships, blow up bridges, down dangerous helicopters and jets, and make sure you have plenty of fuel if you're going to survive this mighty river. Your mission is to score as many points as possible by destroying enemy tankers, helicopters, fuel depots, jets, and bridges before your jet crashes or runs out of fuel. When the game fires up, we have uh, a couple of different title screens. Now, these are different depending on which release you get for the Commodore 64. There is a loading screen that has a large Activision logo that says Activision presents Carol Shaw's River Raid, adapted by Micro Products Engineering, copyright 1982-1984, Activision Incorporated. Now, if you bought a later release, one of the budget releases re-released by Firebird, you get a second screen that says Firebird and Activision present River Raid. And then there's a note at the bottom that says, please remove any cart. And it says FF4AR3 Fastload. If you were a Commodore user in the know at that time, you would know that FF4 stood for, um, uh, what does it stand for? I thought it stood for final cartridge, but uh, um, the AR3 is an action replay. And then you've got the fast load. So uh, I was surprised that it didn't actually say uh, the actual names of the cartridges or if it just said, you know, remove any fast loading cartridges. So I thought that was kind of interesting. When you get to the menu, it says Carol Shaw's River Raid. So Carol Shaw, uh, you know, Activision was always good at promoting their programmers, and her name is on every screen of this game. And you know what? Well-deserved. Good for her. Uh, copyright 1982-1984. Activision, adapted by Micro Projects Engineering. It says press F1 for option screen, then press F3 to select option. And if you press F3, 
you will go through 16 different game variations. Uh, you kind of have to look to see what is changing on the bottom of the screen. Now, the manual only shows eight different levels, but the game actually has 16. Uh, and essentially what it's doing is starting or controlling what bridge you are starting at in the game. And so by going through these, there are 16, but they alternate between one-player game and two-player game. So the eight levels you could start at are on bridge 1, 5, 20, 50, 100, 250, 400, and bridge 500. So you can jump right up to bridge 500 and dive in, and then you will see how hard this game gets. Once you start the game, uh, you will see the middle third, more or less, the middle third of the screen is the river, and that is blue, and then you'll see kind of a light blue coastline, and then the green to the left and right of the river is the tops of the canyon walls. Now, one of the things that River Raid never did well, in my opinion, was uh, I never understood as a kid, why did I have to only fly over the river? It wasn't until I saw pictures of the artwork that I realized that I was down in a canyon. And I always thought this game would have made more sense if you were driving a speedboat, because that's what it looks like. It looks like you just have to stay in the water. But the uh, illusion that they're trying to present is that the sides are canyon walls. But because there wasn't very good 3D artwork at that time, uh, it doesn't really present itself that way. Uh, in the grass on the sides of the green portion on the Commodore version, you've got some mountains, uh, a couple of different types of mountains. Uh, the the uh, coastline is very jagged and goes in and out and things like that, where on the, the uh, original, on the Atari 2600, there's a lot of just straight areas or uh, there's not as much detail as there is on this version. Uh, once the game starts, you will begin to see enemies. <clears throat> there are helicopters. There are tanker ships, uh, hot air balloons. There are blue jets that will fly at you at a 45-degree angle. There are tanks that uh, either are on the road that you come to that will try to cross the bridge when you... Uh, the bridges, there are bridges in between each level. And so there will be a lot of times there will be a tank crossing the bridge. If you can time it, you can get some extra points that way. Uh, you'll also see these fuel depots. I always thought they were fuel barrels is kind of what they're shaped like, but the, the manual calls them fuel depots. They are red and white barrels is what it looks like that have the word fuel on them. Um, and uh, so the fuel barrels are really the only thing you can touch in the game that won't kill you. If you run into any of those other things I mentioned, the tankers, the helicopters, the hot air balloons, or the walls on the outside, uh, you will explode your plane. Uh, but the fuel gives you more fuel. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But uh, to refuel your plane, you just fly over the top of uh, these fuel barrels. Now, the controls of River Raid are very simple. Uh, the joystick moves you left and right. Again, you don't want to touch the shore. If you touch the shore, you will blow up. Uh, up and down controls your speed. And this is uh, a part of the strategy of the game that comes along is that your fuel, and there at the bottom of the uh, game, you can see your fuel gauge. There's fuel or full on the right, half in the middle, and empty on the far left. And the fuel gauge is constantly but steadily moving from right to left, going from full to empty. So no matter what speed you're flying, it doesn't affect the rate that you use fuel. And so if you're running low of fuel, you really want to speed up and try to find another one of those 
uh, fuel barrels or fuel depots. But when you hit that fuel depot, you want to slow down as much as possible and fly slowly on it because the longer you're on it, the more fuel you will get. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the wonderful thing about River Raid is that everything you need to know about River Raid, you will learn from playing it the first 60 seconds. I mean, everything that can happen in this game essentially will happen in the first 60 seconds. Uh, it's not entirely true. You will see a few different types of enemies later on, but more or less, everything you need to know, uh, you're going to find out very quickly. So the only thing that will get you further in the game is using a few different strategies and tricks uh, that you'll probably pick up on your own. I don't have a lot of great insight as to how to, to get a high score in River Raid. Um, I will say that there are points in the game where you want to go fast and points where you want to go slow. If there's a lot of enemies lined up, you probably want to slow down and pick off as many as you can to clear out, especially if you're going through a narrow passage. Um, but if you're looking for fuel and you're running low, you definitely want to go fast. So uh, the speed, if you just let your ship go at the average, the middle speed, it's not always the best strategy. Sometimes slowing up and speeding, speeding up and slowing down will help you. Um, you don't, a lot of the ships that you will encounter, the uh, tankers and the helicopters are stationary. They're sitting still in the water. And the minute you fly in front of them, it will trigger them to start moving. So uh, don't fly in front of a stationary enemy. <laughs> that's good advice. Uh, if you can slow down, if you can hit them before they start moving, that's great. Or if you can't, you probably want to speed up so you can zip by them before they have time to start moving and ram into the side of you. Uh, there are, as you start moving through the levels, you'll start seeing these light blue jets that will fly at you at a 45 degree angle. And one strategy that can be used to, you really want to shoot those because they're worth a lot of points, but you can also avoid them by speeding up or slowing down and you're Instinct is always to slow down to avoid them, but sometimes you'll slow down and they're coming for the bottom and then you've trapped yourself and they will ram into you. So sometimes speeding up is a better way to get past those, but you'll get a feel of it once you uh, get killed by them <laughs> five or ten times. Uh, and finally, uh, if you can time when the tanks are crossing the bridges, there's bridges at the end of every level, like I said, and you'll see a tank rolling across the street towards the bridge. Well, if you blow up the bridge too early, the tank will get stuck and he will begin firing uh, missiles into the area that you have to drive through. So if you can wait till the tank reaches the bridge and shoot the bridge, the bridge will explode with the tank on it. So that actually uh, helps in two ways. Number one, it gets rid of the tank as an enemy. And number two, you earn more points doing that. Now... Carol Shaw, actually, in the uh, back of the Atari 2600 version of the manual, included a list of uh, tips, and it's called How to Become a River Raider. Now, this is not in the Commodore version of the manual, but it is in the Atari 2600 version, so I thought I would read it. Uh, it says, first of all, it gives her credentials. It says, Carol Shaw is one of Activision's newest game designers, but isn't a newcomer to video game design. She's also a scholar in the field of computer science. And then this is Carol Shaw's suggestions. The River of No Return holds many special challenges and dangers for would-be river raiders. You'll not only have to know your assault jet, 
but you'll need to have a good idea of your basic flight plan before you start. By knowing the river, pinpointing areas with the highest concentration of enemies and the most fuel depots, you'll have a much better chance of surviving. Since the river is in sections, try jotting down notes for each important section as flight aids. Fuel is also a critical factor. When you're far up the river, fuel is scarce. So concentrate on flying to the next fuel depot and don't try to destroy every object. When you become really skilled, you'll find you can actually blow up a fuel depot right in the middle of refueling. That way you can gain the points and some fuel at the same time. And finally, remember that your main targets are the bridges. They're worth the most points. And please, drop me a note and let me know how you're doing. I'd really like to hear from you. Signed, Carol B. Shaw. Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, River Raid for the Atari 2600 sold more than a million copies. So, Carol B. Shaw might have received a lot of letters (laughs) from young video game players who were playing and enjoying uh, River Raid. Now, according to the manual, scoring is as follows. The uh, tankers, and by the way, in the Atari version, they are called tankers. And in the Commodore manual, they've changed it to battleships. They're the exact same thing. But uh, regardless of what you call them, they are worth 30 points. Helicopters and hot air balloons are worth 60 points. Fuel depots are worth 80 points. Enemy jets are 100 points. Helicopter gunners are 150, bridges are 500, and bridge with tank on it is 750. And I put an asterisk next to balloon, the hot air balloon, helicopter gunner, and bridge with tank, because those three things don't exist in the Atari 2600 version, but were added to all the other versions, including the Commodore 64. The highest score I was able to find online from RetroComputerScene.com is a reported score of 169,240. That is a pretty amazing score. And I, let's see, I was going to say I couldn't do a tenth of that, but I have done a tenth. I have done 16,000, but not much more. So that is uh, one heck of a score. And Spider, who is the user who turned in that score, definitely qualifies for an Activision patch. Now, this is something I found interesting. In the Atari 2600 manual, it says once you reach 15,000 points, you can qualify for a River Raid patch. And of course, this system was once you reached that score, uh, you would take a picture of it with a Polaroid camera and then mail that picture into River Raid or into Activision and they would send you a River Raid patch. Uh, But on the Commodore 64 version, it says they want 40,000 points to be able to get a patch. So I'm not sure why they think that this version was uh, so much easier to score on. I mean, I know that uh, you've got the tanks on the bridges and a few things like that, but it certainly doesn't seem like it would be almost three times easier to get that score. So if you were going to get a River Raid patch on the Commodore 64, they were certainly going to make you work for it. I did see in one article that Carol Shaw said this game was loosely based on Scramble. I find that very interesting because I never put two and two together. I never thought of this game as being Scramble because Scramble is rotated 90 degrees and you're flying through a cavern 
from left to right that you can't touch the the top or the bottom. And so this, uh, obviously scrolling top to bottom on an Atari would have been easier to do. So, um, you know, they've rotated the game so that you're, you're moving upwards instead of moving to the right. But I found that very interesting. I never thought about the similarities between this and Scramble, but they are obviously there. Now, I did find a technical article. I believe this is a on entered on Wikipedia, but I there's also a link to it. And I read the source, and uh, it's called "The River That Never Ends," and it says the Atari twenty six hundred version is four K, but of course uh, the Commodore sixty four version and uh, other versions for other computer systems would be slightly larger. But it says, for its time, River Raid provided an inordinate amount of non-random repeating terrain despite constrictive computer memory limits. For the Atari 2600, the game with its program code and graphics had to fit into a 4K ROM. The game program does not actually store the sequence of terrain and other objects. Instead, a procedural generation algorithm manifests them by employing a linear feedback shift register with a hard-coded starting value, also called a pseudo-random number generator. Because of this algorithm, or because of this, the algorithm generates the same game world every time the program executes. The enemy crafts AI relies on another pseudo-random number generator to make the start of the enemy movement less predictable as this pseudo-random number generator starting value is not reset when a new game starts. Uh, I'm going to unpack this in my own words a little bit. Um, creating a random number in a computer is hard because... Uh, Everything starts off with a seed number, and how do you get a random seed number? A lot of times, uh, random generators use uh, the current time, like the current millisecond, uh, as the seed number to start that random thing, because computers just aren't very good at picking random things. They're good at following instructions. So essentially what this is saying, uh, there's two different parts, is that number one, the entire maze uh, in River Raid and where all the enemy craft appear and all that stuff uh, isn't programmed in as such like you and I would think about it, like, you know, level one helicopter here, tanker here, so on and so forth. Uh, but they are randomly placed. However, the bit that's used as the seed number in that random generation is always the same, which means they'll always be put in the same place every time. Uh, so that makes sense. And that is a brilliant way i mean if you wanted to say okay all the all the ships on level one uh, are in these 10 positions and then level two well by the time you get to level 100 that's a lot of data to put on a cartridge but basically what they've done is that each level is just referring back to this algorithm that tells it where to put the ship so it's that's really smart way to do this and that's how a game of such a small size could essentially go on forever. Now, the other thing that it says is that the enemy craft AI relies on another pseudo-random number generator to make the start of the enemy movement less predictable as this pseudo-random number generator starting value is not reset when a new game starts. So, for example, uh, let's say the way that the ships behave uh, are, is based on a number and 
the last number of your score. And I'm making up this system. This is definitely uh, not how it works, but I'm just making up an example. Uh, let's say that seed number is zero because when you turn the game on, you have killed zero enemies. And let's say you play a game and you kill 29 enemies and then your game is over. Well, it could use that 29 as the next seed number. And it says that it doesn't reset it. So the next time you play, when it generates all its random values, it's using that 29 as the seed number. So everything based on that number is now going to be different. And let's say you kill another 30 you know, things. Well, now the seed number is 59. So when you play it, it's going to be different again. And so again, uh, just a very, very smart way to get a lot of different random behavior and, and random uh, pseudo random appearance of things by using just a little trick like that. I, I just thought that was really, really smart thing to do. Let's get into the reviews of the Commodore 64 version of River Raid. Lemon64 has an aggregate score of 7.8. That is all the votes of all the users combined and averaged. 7.8 out of 10. Commodore Force gave it a 50%. Commodore Horizons gave it 7 out of 10. Home Computing Weekly gave it 4 out of 5. Your 64 gave it 3 out of 5. And Zap gave it 70%. The reviews, I read a, a couple of these reviews. And the ones that gave it low reviews said, it's a great game. It's just so similar to the Atari 2600 version that they wished there had been more updates. If you were to glance at this version, you would be in some places hard-pressed to see a difference between this and the Atari 2600 version or any of the other versions that were released for other systems. Um, it just, the ships look the same. The fuel depots look the same. Your ship looks the same. Uh, the layout of the game is the same. And so they didn't really take advantage of the expanded horsepower of the Commodore 64. They didn't add music. They didn't update the sound effects. It is a very loyal version of the Atari original Atari 2600 version. Maybe that was their goal all along is to make all these versions the same. So the ones that uh, detracted on their score, that was mostly the problem that they had with the game. Uh, I mentioned that this was originally released on the Atari 2600, and we've been talking about the Commodore 64 version, but there were also ports released for the Atari 5200, the Atari 8-bit computers, uh, ColecoVision, Intellivision, the MSX, uh, the PC, uh, and the ZX Spectrum. And then it has been included on compilations for Windows and Xbox 360. So there are a lot of different versions of River Raid and notwithstanding very, very minor differences, all of them look and play very, very similarly. Now, in 1988, Atari released River Raid 2. Uh, that's a really late release in the Atari 2600 library, 1988. I mean, Nintendo had been out for, uh, what, uh, three years, um, you know, other gaming systems. I mean, 88, that's pretty late. Uh, and it wasn't ported to anything else. It's only available on the Atari 2600. It didn't make a lot of waves and it wasn't really super reviewed well. So, uh, but that's the only official River Raid sequel that we have seen over the years. 
If you would like to acquire a copy of River Raid, I found loose cartridges sold for $35 on eBay, and I also found a complete boxed copy that's with floppy disk manual uh and everything that the game originally came with also for 35 dollars. i think it was 30 with five dollars shipping so not terribly expensive if you're wanting to add this to your shelf um i would say the one thing that would keep me from buying it is that on the atari 2600 all of those Activision games had that unique look, and they look beautiful when you have a bunch of them and they are all on a shelf. They have this color fade, depending on the different games and stuff like that. So they look really cool, but the ones for computers didn't do that. They're not uniform like that, and so, um, I mean, it would look good on a shelf, but having a bunch of Activision games, they just don't have that uh, unity that the ones do on the Commodore 64. And now let's get into my personal memories of River Raid. I first played River Raid on the Atari 2600, and I have a lot of great memories playing River Raid. Uh, I used to play it with my friends. They would come over. It's one of those games that alternates between player one and player two. So if your friend comes over, everybody gets a turn to play. Uh, a few years after it came out, we got a rear projection big screen television, and we would sit directly in front of it and play Atari games and I remember playing River Raid on that. We also ended up getting the wireless Atari 2600 controllers, the ones that had the big giant base so that it could hold all the batteries. And there was a, a retractable and expandable uh, ex uh, antenna that came out of the front that stretched all the way out. And we would sit all the way on the couch. And I just had the only games that I remember playing with that were River Raid and... Um, Keystone Capers, and maybe Space Invaders, but uh, or maybe Pitfall too. But, um, you know, it wasn't playing a lot of Atari by the time we had the big screen TV, but it was kind of a novelty to be able to sit all the way back on the couch with those wireless controllers and to be able to play those games. But the games had to have graphics that were big enough that you could see from across the, the room as well. I was surprised when I was going back and looking through my disc collection to find River Raid. I vaguely remember playing it on the Commodore 64 as a kid, but it seemed, because it's so close to the Atari version, there wasn't anything extra that made me want to play it. Now, as an adult, I love games where the instructions are so simple, the controls are so simple, that you feel like when you start, like, every game could be your highest score ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you feel like, you go, this game should be super easy. I should be able to beat River Raid, but I don't even know what beat means. If there's, you know, a thousand levels or 2000 or endless number of levels, who knows what it means. But I feel like every time I play the game that this could be a really good round of River Raid. And so I really enjoy that now as an adult. Uh, I was surprised when I played the Commodore version and saw the air balloons and the tanks, I thought 
that that was only in the Atari maybe 5200 version or ColecoVision version. I knew I had seen those things. And so they are in those versions, but I didn't realize that it was every version but the Atari 2600. So uh, it, they don't really add that much to the game, but I thought that was something that was special in the Commodore version, I guess, but it's not. It's it's all those other versions. Now, I will tell you a story that one time when I was a kid, we walked into a mall, uh, a local mall, and in front, like you, this is what we used to park and go in this entrance on the side. And when you went in, there was a little foyer area, and then immediately there were escalators to go up. And in front of the escalators, they had these tables set up, and they were having a contest. And it cost a couple of bucks to enter, and it was to get a high score on River Raid. And I don't remember what you won. I want to say it was like 50 bucks or something like that. But I looked up at River Raid, and the high score was around 16,000, uh, a little over 16,000. I remember that number. And I told my dad, I said, I can beat that score, Dad. Uh, I could definitely beat that score. I could get 20,000 easy on River Raid. And so he said, okay, you know. And so they reset the game and I started playing. And on my first man, I did really good. I got like 12,000. And then it switched over to player two. And I couldn't control anything. And I was like, oh, is it two player? And they said, yeah, it's just how many points can you get on one man, which they hadn't said before that. And I remember feeling really ripped off at the time. And, I mean, there's a possibility that I could have got beat 16,000 with one man, but it might have taken me a few attempts, you know. But I definitely could have beat that score with three men. And so uh, I always felt bad, like maybe my dad didn't believe me. Like he, Like I had just said, oh, I could beat that. But I'm telling you. I could have beaten that score. I just didn't know that you only got one man. But I always, I mean, when I think about River Raid, I always think about that store. I could take you to that mall right now, and I could take you to the piece of tile I was standing on <laughs> where I played River Raid right there. So um, good uh, good memories of, of playing River Raid both at home and I guess occasionally in the mall. For graphics, I give River Raid three out of five hot air balloons. They're they're clear, they're crisp, you can tell what everything is, but they're essentially Atari 2600 graphics. For music, I have to give the game zero out of five hot air balloons. There is no music contained in the game. Sound effects, again, three out of five hot air balloons. Uh, it, it's okay, but the Commodore is capable of doing more. Overall gameplay, I will give River Raid 4 out of 5 hot air balloons. Uh, it doesn't add much from the Atari 2600 version, but it was a great game to begin with and remains a great game here. Uh, like every classic game, you will learn everything you need to know in under a minute, and the rest is up to you to master. Give it a try.
Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hare at RobOHare.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. All Patreons of my shows get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. I'd like to give a shout-out here to all my Patreon supporters. My 8-bit supporters are Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Carrie Clanton, Chris Albright, Chris Folds, C-Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Dave Velociraptor, David Chambers, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Stranisi, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham Vebke, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warrens, John Bodakar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Nathan Dagenhart, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Rad Max, Rydar, Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Rick Reynolds, Roy Jacobs, Scooter Prime, Scott Lambert, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Zeke Pasky, Zerfall, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. And extra special thanks to my 16-bit supporters. That's Bill Spear, Boatshead Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Edward Smith, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Scott Van Drasick, Steve Sharippa, and Vintage Volts. Thank you guys for all your support. You are the ones that make this show happen. This episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore 64 bits, bytes, and accessories, visit RetroRewind.ca and use SC10 while checking out for a 10% discount on your order. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, the RSS feed at podcast.robohair.com, and through the official Amigos Podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos Podcast. To hear more podcasts from me like You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flaps, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohair.com for links to these shows. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon 64, and Moby Games. Start the music again because I miss it so much already. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Now get back to playing some River Raid, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. 